All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. If you're new here, uh, well, let me show you around. Uh, this is uh, my garage. This is the new garage where I do the podcast. It's sort of in flux right now. There's a few guitars laying around. There's shit all over the floor. Couldn't find my wah-wah pedal for like a half hour. It was just in a bag. I got to get some work done in here. These sound panels were made by some guy that I met at a at a studio. They're working out pretty well. It sounds pretty nice. Uh, there's just shit un, not unpacked and printers on the floor and wires everywhere. But this is the new look. So if you're just coming around, you'll hear the old garage and some of the older shows, but this is a new garage. I don't know how much you'll be able to tell the difference in sound, but uh, but this place is sort of... It's a little more chaotic right now, and it seems to be doing all right. Are you all right? Everybody all right? I do want to tell you this, that the T-shirt, the new Aaron Draplin design WTF T-shirt at podswag.com slash WTF or buy. If you can get it, you can go to a click on the merch link at WTFpod.com. That T-shirt, it's a hit, folks. People are loving it. It's hot. It's happening. Go get yourself one. Did I mention Michael Douglas is on the show? Who doesn't love Michael Douglas? I love Michael Douglas. Are you kidding me? Man, how good was he? He's been good in a lot of shit, but how good was he in that Liberace movie, that HBO Liberace movie? Who are you talking to, Mumbles? (laughs) Who are you talking to, Mumbles? I can't do it. But uh, but yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff, and he's always pretty good, and he's produced, and he's done. He's it was it was a great talk, and it's coming at you momentarily. I got the cats. The cats are very excited to see me. But now, here's where my brain is right now. I they've been eating the same food for a while. It's good food. It's a I think it's wellness. It's like chicken and herring. But they sort of they they're not that excited about it anymore. So then I went out and bought this Dave's food because Sarah the painter she's all into the Dave's food. It's it's no grain, all good shit. And I bought it like I had a like a salmon and tuna one, and I put that out in the Buster Buster kitten. You know, he's not so hot on the wet food. It's hard to get him to eat the wet food. He likes the dry food, nothing I can do. But I put out this tuna and salmon shit, and it was like crack, man. They just fucking went through it. Do, do people still say that like crack? Is that is that nostalgic? Is that outdated? Is crack like crack? Is there crack anymore? It seems that culturally, in terms of uh, addiction and death in that area of uh, engagement, that we're, we're going down, we're not going up anymore. I guess that's not, I guess that's not true. I guess it seems like crack is way out meth and uh and fentanyl 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 you know go fast go slow go dead either way but anyway so talking about cat food i'm just telling you where my brain is at right now so i just bought some more dave's fishy food herring and tuna fishy as shit man and i don't know if you're a cat owner but Cats are pukey, and you never know what the new food. So right now, like I fed them the new food, and they inhaled it, and they fucking loved it. But now I'm sort of I had to go. I shut the door to my bedroom. I shut the door to the living room because um, one thing about fishy food is that when they throw it up, that's a fishy stain on your fucking sofa. That's very hard to get out. So I'm trying to hedge, temper, whatever the word is, curb the possibilities of what's going to be thrown up upon. I don't know if they're going to throw up, but this is where my heads are at. Are they puking up fishy food on something I love? 
or something I sit on or something I'm going to have to clean. I know it's not my bed because uh, shut the door. Powerful stuff. Don't you wish I was talking about sports or something? Huh? Is that who you wish I was? I got some emails that are nice. I got some nice emails. Oh, yeah, this is something. And this goes, oh, it, it maybe, maybe you can relate to this in your life. When I did the Beacon Theater last weekend, I, I had a, a, the, the subtext of it was I wanted to correct what I thought were mistakes at Carnegie. Now, Carnegie Hall was an amazing night. It was a big night for me. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know if people experience this in whatever you're doing. You must experience some version of it. You know, when you show up for work and you're in it and you're 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 just uh, you're just you're nailing it and i don't like to use that fucking word you're just in your body you're in your shit you're in your work and you're operating on all cylinders and then if if before that happens the thing that stops that from happening sometimes is that you just get a little bug in your brain that uh it's not going to work out or it's not going to be good or it's not going to go the way you want it or you're not going to nail it i don't like using that word but but that can fuck you up because then you're self-conscious, you're not in it, and you don't feel grounded, and you feel like you're a little, just a little bit desperate, uh, a little bit, uh, got a little, like, you know, you're too vulnerable to, to be doing what you're doing, but you got to do it because it's your job. I, this is a long way of saying is that as good as Carnegie Hall was, even though I did two hours, whatever, um, and, I, and I was up there a long time and I made that place an intimate environment, in my mind, I was like, I, the first half hour of my Carnegie Hall show a couple years back, I, I felt like I was struggling. I felt at any minute that uh, the funny would dissipate and it would just be me up there wondering why people uh, weren't liking me or, or, or being too serious and demanding some sort of emotional support. See, that should all be the subtext of good comedy, not up front. But I mentioned it at the Beacon, and and I need to sort of apologize, because I got this email from New York City as the subject line, from NYC. Hi, Mark. My wife, Lee, and I saw you this last time at the Beacon and loved the show, but we kept hearing how you felt the Carnegie show was not as good. We were there, sitting right next to your family, and we thought your show then was better if it has to be graded, but that's the BS thing about grading. It implies something is better or more valuable or what the fuck ever. The Carnegie show was different, and we enjoyed the difference very much. My wife pointed it out best when she said that the Carnegie show was more personal. It was less joke-related and more Mark-related, like we were getting a look into how you look at things spontaneously. You consulted your notes more at Carnegie, like you had just wrote something down on the subway. I probably did, yeah. I probably had. Of course, there was plenty of showmanship at Carnegie, but there was also some of you just grooving with things, and it was great to see your mind working, and the audience loved it. The Beacon show was great, too definitely more bit related but even with that you'd go off on tangents and assure us you were coming back but that tangential thinking of yours is really amusing some may qualify laughter as the delightful response to astonishment and the reward for learning something new in that sense comedians are our teachers they show us other ways to think about things and especially about humans following your tangents of thought is part of the real delight in seeing you perform and to listening to your interviewing. So yes, Beacon was tight and well done with a nice sprinkling of Marin flourishes, but Carnegie felt like more full-on Mark, bolstered occasionally by set bits. Both shows were great to be at, so thank you from both of us, David and Lisa. Okay, okay, 
Okay, I you know, and I've I've learned this lesson before. Like, if you don't feel like you did as good as you should, j- just keep your mouth shut about it because you don't know what other people's experience of. And I think that applies to anything. Like, if you're not feeling like you're ma- you're, you're 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 hitting your mark, just you know, shut up about it. You know, you don't know uh, if people are paying attention to you uh, in the same way that you are. Does that make sense? Is that at all helpful? Can I read you one other email? Would that be all right? Comedians laughing. Oh, this is not the one I wanted to read. But this is a nice one. I'll read this. Comedians laughing is the subject line. Dear Mark, I have been a fan for a long time, almost since the beginning. I remember hearing the Gallagher and Carlos Mencia and Robin Williams interviews and having my mind blown. I avidly sought out each past episode as I kept up with all the new ones. I can't listen to every episode now, but I always listen when you're interviewing a comedian. Not only because I love comedy and comedians, but because there's this thing that happens every time you interview a fellow comic. At some point, one of you makes the other laugh and you both just let it rip. The kind of deep, full-throated laughter that is so rare in the world. It's like a tonic for the soul just to hear it. And often you are laughing about something awful, some terrible thing that happened to one of you, but you look back on it and laugh and laugh and laugh. It's a beautiful thing. Some true deep wisdom. Thanks for bringing it. It brightens my day and my world every time. Best, John. Yeah, man, you know, (laughs) what comedians find funny, it does go pretty deep. So, all right, I think we're okay. I wanted to read this other one, but you know, why am I even telling you? Maybe I'll read it next time. What difference does it make now? Am I right? Michael Douglas is here. Michael Douglas is someone I feel like he dug deep into my brain because my mother, I think, had a crush on him, really. I remember watching the streets of San Francisco at the base of my parents' bed because my mom would lay in bed and watch it. You know, they watched the TV in their bedroom. We'd all go in there at some point. But uh, but yeah, so I think that was it. It was the streets of San Francisco. But he feels like somebody I've, I've watched my entire life because I have. Uh, he's now starring in the new Netflix original series, The Kominsky Method, along with Alan Arkin. It's available for streaming tomorrow, November 16th. This is me and Michael Douglas talking right here in the new garage. <laughs> Nice to see you. Thank you very much. Nice I, to see you. Nice I feel to be here. I feel like I've known you my entire life. Well, gosh, I'm, <laughs> I you mean, look younger than that, man. I'm you 54, dude. Like, I'm 54. Well, I'm 74 next week. So there you go. But uh, just from when I was a kid, my mother watching Streets of San Francisco. You were too young to stay up that late. I remember. I remember. But you just—it's uh, weird when I, I talk to people that I feel like were active parts of my life throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Couple, well, a couple questions up front. How's your dad doing? My dad's great. Uh, as good as you can be at 102 yeah. in December. Crazy. Um, he's, <laughs> he's discovered FaceTime, so he just, all we do is try to keep a curfew because we live back east. Yeah. He tends to forget about the three-hour time change. We're right. an early to bed family. Yeah. And, um, but he loves it. So, yeah. you know, he hits that hits that FaceTime button and there he is and you have a nice conversation <laughs> and we say goodnight or goodbye and the only problem is that maybe 10 minutes later yeah. he calls again and says, how are you? I said, Dad, we just talked. We talked 10 minutes ago. All oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> is, he, is he by himself? 
No, he's uh, he's with his his wife, my yeah. uh, my stepmother. They've been together sixty five years, and that's, she's incredible. She's there. Yeah, she gets. Uh, uh, angry when I tell people how old she is, so I yeah. won't do that. But uh-huh. she's, she's close behind him, and, right. <laughs> and the two of them um, are quite a pair. I, you know, I go over, have good conversations with them, a little dinner, and I get out. Yeah. Usually, I, usually I'm a little hoarse from speaking so loudly. Yeah. Uh, I'm always <laughs> trying to check on their hearing aids, but but bless them, you know. I mean, just uh, so genetically sound. Genetically sound, you know. The only always ask me is, "Are you working out? Are you working out?" And I said, "I I am, Dad. Although I travel is sort of hard." And I look back, and he had a trainer, Mike Abrams. He had a trainer forever, like 40 years. I remember he worked with this guy, and then one time I went to see Dad when he was 90. Uh-huh. And he was, uh, you know, he wasn't too happy. What's wrong, Dad? Yeah. So, uh, Mike died. Mike Abrams died. Mike His trainer. trainer. Oh, Dad, I'm sorry. Oh. How old was Mike, Dad? 94. <laughs> <laughs> 94, and he was working out with Dad when he was 90, so. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah. That should have been a fitness video. Yeah, so that, was, that, was, that was a special generation. Everything they say about that generation is true. Well, I mean, did you, so he's out here? Like, he lives out he lives here out forever? Here. He lives, yeah, he lives out here in, in Beverly Hills forever. And you grew up out here? No, 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 I grew up, uh, I grew up back, back east, basically. Really? Yeah, my mother and father met each other in acting school, the American yeah. Academy of Dramatic Arts. Yeah. In New York, in New York City, yeah, and um, you know they were uh, they were both at the school together. My mother was was Bermudian, uh, British, uh-huh. uh, lied about her age. Yeah. Was very tall for sixteen years old, and came to the states, the American Academy. My father, Belarus, Russian Jew, yeah. you know, immigrant. Yeah, I got family you. came over here in nineteen fourteen. He was born in nineteen sixteen. Opposites attract. Yeah. They got together, um, and then soon after that, my father got a contract that came out to Hollywood, proceeded to chase every skirt in town, and my mother said, time out, and so my brother and I, we, we all moved back uh, back east. So I grew up in New York City, yeah, and would come out and visit my uh, father you know, on the holidays over time, and then... Then grew up in uh, Connecticut with my stepfather and my mother. So your your relationship with with Kirk was on and off, or no? We've always we yeah. always maintained he was a very guilt ridden uh, father in yeah. terms of the one thing you know his, his father never gave him much attention right at all yeah or really acknowledged any of his success yeah and so I think when they divorced I think he felt guilt so we all, you know he was always we'd see him on holidays yeah. even no matter how hard he was working on pictures. Um, a lot of pictures. A huh? lot of movies, over a hundred <laughs> movies. You know, those are the days <laughs> yeah. before television. You yeah, know, before television, five movies, five movies a year you'd be making. Did you get introduced to the uh, like? When did you become sort of? You know, uh, driven towards acting. I mean, because of him or being no, on set. No, well, my mother was an actress oh, too. That's right. Yeah. Pro- no, really. Uh, you know, I was in my junior year of college. Uh, I went to the University of California at Santa Barbara. I was a hippie, nineteen sixty-three. So you were out here with him then. 
Like I wasn't you with him, but, but I moved to college. I'd gone to yeah. schools in the East Coast. When yeah. I came to college, yeah. I came out here. So you and were a I hippie. Was a, and I was hippie. a hippie, and uh, finally I was in my junior year. Yeah. And uh, they said, you got to declare a major. You know, you got you can't keep taking general <laughs> yeah. education. Yeah. Uh, I don't man, me, okay. And I thought theater would be the yeah. easiest, you yeah. know, easiest, but my mom was an actress. And oh, really? Father, so was it like that? theater, yeah. So that was it. I started reluctantly. I was a terrible actor. Kirk used to tell me that. It was, you know, he I did? Was, well, I was bad. Yeah, I mean, I was not inherently talented. I kind of, I'm a grinder. You know, really, I'm a real grinder. Well, the, in the hippie thing, like you know, like at that time in the in the you know out here in L.A. or in the country, I mean, like how active were you? Or were you just uh, doing the long well, hair? We were, and doing... we were, you know, we were. In a, we had a commune, community group up in Santa Barbara. Actually, my those were my first theatrical productions. We used to put on Greek comedies, right? A bunch of long hairs. A bunch of long hairs. We put a, <laughs> a, a, a sheet over us to look like togas. Yeah. And we used to work out. We take the cardboard roll of the inside of a of a paper towel right. thing. We tie a string to our hand and we make it like a phallus. And, yeah. and we point, and the phallus would rise. The string, you know, we. <laughs> That was the, sort of the beginning, experimental but theater. experimental theater, yeah. right? Um, and the beginning of the pleasure fair, the first years of Renaissance fair, and driving up to San Francisco on a motorcycle to Fillmore to see the kind. It was a great time. Yeah, man. good time. It was a great time, like in the late sixties. Late sixties. Now, great, did you great hang great out with hang out with any of the? So you weren't locked in with other like actors, kids? Because I had Peter Fonda in here a few <laughs> weeks ago. And uh, it just seems like there was a community, like the, the Hollywood they, community was smaller. It was tight. Yeah, it was right, tight. You, right. you didn't go. There was you didn't go on location. The, the back lots right, of right. 20th Century Fox yeah, of Universal. Yeah. Yeah. everything was shot in town. You yeah, know? yeah. So you know, when I would visit my father when I was a younger uh, kid, yeah, sure, I knew Frank Sinatra Jr. Yeah. and Candy Bergen. Right. Uh, Everybody was around your dad's friends. They you? were my, you know, my friends. Billy Lancaster was good friends with my my brother Joel. So it was a very tight uh, community. Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. and, and all of them. And you yeah. knew all the parents too. Knew all the parents. And have and dinners I, together and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's the biggest. That's probably the biggest advantage of being second generation is to be able to see these movie stars. Uh, with their foibles, as with, with their insecurities, yeah, with yeah. their people, you yeah, know, as as yeah, real people, yeah. And I think it it's I think it allows you to conduct yourself as a person, sure. When 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 right. you have a degree of success, right? And you, I mean, you've had a, a tremendous amount of success. So your dad tells you you're a shitty actor, and so what do you? Because like you know, you're a very good actor, obviously. So how does that? I mean, even with grinding, I mean, like how do you? What where do you train initially? Well, I just I, I worked hard at it. And yeah. I mean, and I'm, you know, I say that, he, you know, he was the same breath. He went to every one of my productions, every one of my shows, and was the first guy to tell me when I did a, a Michelle de Gelderode yeah. play. He said, "Michael, you were good. You were really good." Oh yeah, and um, and that was that. And then did you train? I did. I I was fortunate enough in the summer times. Uh, I went back to a place called the Eugene O'Neill Memorial Theater yeah. in Waterford, Connecticut. They had the National Playwrights Conference. Yeah, and I worked there basically just in construction and trying to build theaters. But I would get a chance to play small parts, and they had a um, 
this National Playwrights Conference. Yeah. And it was at a time when there were just these great writers, Israel Horowitz, John Guare, um, a whole bunch of yeah. really, really fabulous writers, Sam Shepard. Sure. Um, so I, I started doing, you know, uh, these uh, the last two, three summers. That's where I met Danny DeVito at this theater and all of that. Oh, you did? Yeah. So you know, like, he, you knew him when he was starting out. I knew him when he was at the American Academy. I knew Danny DeVito when he had long hair. <laughs> <laughs> really? And that's, that's when he had uh, hair. Period. Forget BC. That's Pete. That's BD <laughs> before Danny. Yeah. So there we were. One day, I'm looking out in New London, out of the Long Island Sound, with the fog coming in, the hoop, the fog horns. Yeah. And this little guy comes up to me, and uh, you know, and he uh, long hair. Hey, hey, hey. You get high? I said, <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and that was the beginning? That was the beginning, yeah. yeah. And he's around, he, like he's in this new thing. He's in the Kaminsky method. Right. He, he shows up in a lot of your movies. And like in, so you. He went, was a dear friend. But to finish your thing, yeah. So after that, when I graduated from school, I went to New York City. Yeah. Studied with a guy named Wynn Handman. Who, yeah. Who bless his soul is ninety four years old and he's still teaching. Uh huh. And then um, basically got picked up with a CBS Playhouse. They were still doing those. Mm -hmm. So you, so you're a regular player on the CBS Playhouse. No, the CBS Playhouse was like a, 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 an original production, and yeah. and it was you know one off. It was with Tish, oh. Tish Sterling, I remember. Uh -huh. And so I did that, and I got some attention, and then came back out to Hollywood and started. And then he started a couple of TV things, and he got TV straight to things, San Francisco. It, I did two or three movies that were turkeys, yeah. and then I started going into episodic television, yeah. Medical Center, FBI. Medical Center. Chad Everett? Chad Everett, right. And yeah. then the, um, the streets came up. Yeah. Which was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Did you know Malden when you were a kid? No, I, I didn't. Although, um, although both Carl and my father... We're in summer stock together, and they both changed their names at the same time. Carl was Miladin Sekulovic. Wow. He's a Serb. And uh, and Dad was Istio Danielovic. Yeah. And those are two tough, uh, <laughs> those are two tough names and lights, right? But so, they, they weren't friends? They know they were they were you know yeah. friends they didn't know each other they were, they were friends that summer yeah and they both both basically changed their names Carl and Dad to Kirk yeah know. yeah so so the so you did like a hundred you did a lot of streets of San Francisco one hundred and four hours yeah one hundred and four hours and you got an Emmy for that I got no I was nominated I don't think I got one I was nominated two or three times uh -huh. but that's the whole basis and structure of my of my uh, my life or, or, or my success yeah. was were those those hours with Carl Malden from Gary, Indiana, Steel Mill Town, yeah. who taught me the value and, and work ethic. Really? Um, he was yeah. the guy? He was the guy. And the structure of of working on uh, on an hour show, which is actually 52 minutes in, in seven days of filming with a new director every week, and yeah. new guest stars. Yeah. Um, and I learned my responsibility of carrying the plot line or this or that. So the, oh yeah, so all and the, the all business the, stuff, the the business stuff, but just the the, the technical parts of of and, and also whatever whatever stage uh, you know fears that I had you know uh, from earlier, yeah. just staring at that camera every day uh, yeah, reduced that, and it also so when I left that show yeah. after four years and it was a big hit, yeah, to go produce one flew over the cuckoo's nest, yeah. 
and everybody thought I was crazy. Why are you leaving a hit show? You know, in your fourth, you know, your fifth year it was just you know doing well. Oh, they were going to keep doing it. Oh, the show was a big hit. So did it go on without? Yeah, you? went on, went on with it, with, with, only for one more season with another guy. What happened but, to that guy? Richard Hatch. It, it didn't go so well. The show didn't, you know, it didn't work out. We, Carl and I, I think Carl was, you know, but I look back and yeah. I, again, I have to remind people, you know, I mean, in this day and age with the contracts, you think, I, 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 back then I went to Quinn Martin, who's a big, big television producer, and yeah. Carl Moss said, I like to leave. I have a contract, but I like to leave. And I mean, today you say that, you say, yeah, fat chance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they both said, hey, I know how much this means to you. Go for it. It's yeah. okay. So, so the, the, it was towards production. That, and that seemed like a, a weird jump in and of itself, right? You're, you're leaving because you want to get into- uh, Producing, not, not, not stepping into acting. Right. And what was the story like? Because I know that it's probably something you've talked about, but I, you know, in, in terms of how Cuckoo's Nest worked, you know, you know getting from- Because I know there was tension with Keezy, right? It was. And it went from, you know, your dad had, what, the rights to the stage play? No, he acquired the rights to the book. He, he acquired the book in galley form. He, he owned the book. Kirk did. Kirk did. 1959. Because he wanted to play McMurphy. McMurphy. Yeah. yeah, he wanted to play McMurphy. Yeah. And he had the book adapted by Dale Wasserman into a play. Right. And at the height of his career, at the height of his career, right after Spartacus, he went back to New York. And did this play, made a commitment, um, you know, as a big movie star, with the idea that it would, you know, be successful. He, yeah. would, re he would receive some critical acclaim. Right. And they would make it into a movie. Yeah. Didn't do well. Wasn't yeah. received well. The production maybe the, was the a little play. Too, the play was not. It was a little ahead of his time. And so it, and it closed. He, yeah. It, it closed after a period of time. He then tried for a few years to try to get it made into uh, a, a film or, or to make a film, but nobody wanted to do it. He was obsessed with it. Well, he was. He liked it. He had, but it's like a lot of projects he had. But he wanted to get it made into a film. He couldn't get it. Meantime, I go into college. Now the book has come out. Yeah. Three, three years, four years later. You take a 20th century American literature class. Yeah. One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest is a yeah. 20th century American lit. And it's great. You yeah. know, it's a fabulous story. It is. Um, and so now I've gone off and I've started my career. And uh, as I said, I've had a little bump in the road. We're out of feature films. We're starting to do episodic television. And I hear the dad is now selling his rights. Uh, he, he's not. He's given up trying to make it. He wants to sell the rights. To, uh, to get when, out. when you say that, that you know, when you say that you did okay, so you did a few films and then you do episodic television. Did that seem like a demotion to you? I mean, on some level, were you gunning for for movies to be in movies, and that doing episodic television at some point became like sort of like, well, this isn't where I want to go. Yeah, well, yeah. sure. I mean, I mean, if if you're fortunate enough to to get a a contract, a movie contract, and at right. that time it was with CBS Films, right? And you're starring in movies, right? And I remember my first movie, uh, my, my my first movie was actually shown at Radio City Music Hall, right? And one of my friends, you know, Radio City Music Hall has got six thousand seats. <laughs> And he called me, how was it? There's a long pause. And Michael, there were more people on stage than there were in the audience. He said, you just see the Rockettes. Said, ah, the Rockettes were all... He said, there was nobody. So, yeah, so it, it was a demotion. Yeah. Um, and there's always was a big separation between television. Right, um, right. And, and movies where they have to pay 
to see you. So it's a double-edged sword. You got a, an incredible amount of education about the, the nature oh. of working and, and acting, but you wanted to do bigger uh, things. Well, well, I wanted to produce. I mean, I would have been, if it wasn't for Cuckoo's Nest, yeah. I mean, I, didn't, I never thought about producing. I just had a passion for this project. I love this book. So did you have to buy the rights from your old man? No, I said, let me run with it for a year, yeah. and then I will, let me try to get it set up. So it took longer than that. And he said, you know, he's very nice and give you an opportunity. But I said, no, we'll share the deal. I'll try to, you'll get the credit from your company, and I'll try to get you the part that you want to play. It's such a great part. So he has not forgiven me for this day that he didn't play that part. I, I, and I explained to him, and he sort of blames it on me. And I said, wait a minute, what happened to directors having the choice, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. But years had passed, and he was older then, too, and his career had changed. And so, like, oh, he was too old to play McMurphy at that time. A little older, yeah. It was a little older, exactly. So, so, so you brought Milos in? Yeah, we, uh, I, I did. I brought Milos Foreman in. We, I developed a screenplay originally. With uh, with a guy named Larry Halbin, who was a friend of mine, and then I went through I went through some of my father's back files of the people that expressed interest over the years, uh -huh. and I found this group uh, led by Saul Zance out yeah. of Fantasy Records in Berkeley, California. Yeah, he, he, he time has not uh, done his reputation well. Uh, well, with the uh, Credence Clearwater, with the Credence Clearwater, yeah, 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 certainly as as a as a film producer who also did Amadeus, yeah. and others, he had great taste. Yeah, um, there has been yeah, obviously a lot of discussion <laughs> and debate with, with Credence Clearwater yeah. and John Fogarty. Yeah, yeah, Zance can't dance. Sure, Zance can't that. dance, and yeah, he took the whole catalog. They, yeah, yeah all, all of that. Yeah, um, but he was my partner. Yeah, did a. Uh, a, a, a great job uh, together but th that wasn't it, it just turned out I mean there was just a passion for that project I didn't think yeah. of being a producer but I realized that with my four years of 104 hours of streets that sure. I had learned a whole hell of a lot about producing right you know just, yeah. I, I, I knew a lot and, and so it, it paid off sure and, and Nicholson you know did you know him before no um, and he wasn't necessarily our our first choice. One of the directors um, that expressed strong interest for was Hal Ashby. Oh yeah, yeah. And Hal just Ashby got a, just a new they, doc they about a, him. A new documentary out yeah. about him. He's quite was quite a guy. And you know, did Harold and Maude and the landlord and being, being there, there, shampoo, shampoo. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the last detail. Last detail. Oh. Well, but that was the whole point because yeah. it didn't work out with Hal. Hal and and Saul didn't. Well, and when we got with Milos, we were trying to find out who to play McMurphy. Yeah. And Marlon Brando turned the part down. Gene Hackman turned the part down. And I know it's hard to think about Jack uh, now because he looks so perfect for the part. But right. at that point, Jack was sort of the gentleman, the gentleman young man. Yeah. He was an easy rider. He was the intellect college yeah, guy yeah. and yeah. all of that. Right. And Hal said, listen, I just did this picture. It hasn't come out yet called The Last Detail. Oh, that's good. Where I think you'll see a Jack that you hadn't seen before. Yeah. And he, so he showed me some outtakes and some, some scenes from the picture, which I then shared with, with, with Zach. Yeah. And so we went in that direction. Milos, for a while was infatuated with Burt Reynolds. Yeah. May he rest in peace. Yeah. And if you think about it, Burt would have been a very interestingly and char charming uh, sure. choice. And 
I love the. Could have like, done it. Milos just lies. Said, no, no, Bert, he's got cheap charisma. Yeah, cheap charisma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what is that? It's a yeah. great line. But he's a he's a wonderful uh, he was a wonderful guy. It was an interesting idea, but we did okay with Jack. Yeah, and the movie that turned out you know, incredibly well, obviously. Yeah, right. yeah, I watch it uh, you know once a year. I think there are certain movies that I watch once a year. I just watched Wall Street again, actually, on the airplane. Uh huh. Your movie. I haven't seen that for a while. You haven't? Oh, you're great in it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, well, it was a great part. So what was great it, part. like, before we move off of Cuckoo's Nest, what was, you know, the, the dynamic with Kesey? Well, we, we uh, when we first got together uh, with Saul, is that my partner? Yeah. We went up to Ken, uh, to say Ken, and we, and, and we uh, offered uh, Ken a writing deal to write the screenplay. Right. And... Um, and we said, listen, you write the screenplay, and we gave him a percentage. Yeah. And so Ken wrote the screenplay, and like a lot of authors of books, uh, yeah. screenwriting and the visual of, of a movie is a different medium. Yeah. And the screenplay just didn't work out. So he know? did write some. He wrote a screenplay. Well, the whole book is from the point of view of the chief. The book is from the point of view of the chief, and Ken continued to have the movie yeah. from the point of view of the psychedelic of the chief yeah. and that vision and yeah, all of that. Poetry. Yeah, the, the yeah. poetry yeah. of that. And so um, it didn't work out. And you were trying to make a, like it was on your mind that you needed to sell this movie. So you weren't making some sort of experimental film. Well, it was a, it was a, I mean, it was a unique uh, project. Right. It was just a, a point of view that we we didn't share that, and we and we realized in hindsight we shouldn't have that it's extremely different, yeah. difficult for a uh, a a writer of a novel, sure. you know, to be able to open himself up to think in terms of a screenplay. But in any event, we got into a contractual, silly kind of contractual issue, which I think was as much in hindsight, yeah, about saving face where. You know, uh, Ken said, "Well, basically, he said I get a percentage. You know, whether I whether I do it or not. So I get that percentage, but then I should I should obviously get another percentage." And and it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. no, 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 no. And, and he didn't want to have lawyers, no lawyers involved. But he didn't want to have lawyers or anything like that. Yeah. He wanted to have Hell's Angels do it, do the right. negotiation. <laughs> so it was unfortunate. <laughs> you know, I spent time with him up there, and he was obviously a you know key member and was on the bus. And, yeah, you know, all up on the hog farm. You went up there. Yeah, we up there and all, all of that. <laughs> and he was an, an amazing guy, and is the only only unfortunate and disappointing part. Um, of the uh, of this whole story, right? And it ended up uh, we kept maintained his interest in in escrow yeah. for him as this struggle and debate went on and on, um, and then finally Saul said, "Look, we're going to donate your share to the University of Oregon to the Ken Kesey and create the Ken Kesey Chair in American Literature." Uh huh. And he settled. That, oh, really? <laughs> that was it. And he, there's a story that he he claimed to never have gone to see the movie. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah and he, there, he, there was some story had... about a Hell's Angel or what was it? No, someone he, asked him about uh, why hadn't he seen the movie. He said, "Well, if a bunch of Hell's Angels came up to your door and said uh, uh, we're out front raping your daughter, you want to come watch?" Right. Yeah. Do you know that story? Something like I that. I heard. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it was. It was the mythology. Yeah. It yeah. was. Uh, it was. It was. It was un unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really was, and, and um, it, it was the it was the one part because it was a magical experience. Oh, and, yeah. and I always wish that he could have been part of it. And you pull your buddy Danny in. 
Well, Danny had been, DeVito uh, had been in the first off-Broadway production because after the as failure- As Martini? As Martini. Because after my, my dad's failure of the yeah. Broadway production, then the book came out and then the play was revived and became a very big kind of off-Broadway San Francisco productions, off-Broadway in New York. And Danny was the first guy that was cast uh-huh. because I- I dragged Milos down to see the production, and uh, he had Martini down, so he was he was the first cast out of out of the box. Yeah, it's, it's a great character. I mean, I'd, so I just get sort of like uh, caught up with the nostalgia of it. I guess no, it was it was a magical story because it was all about innocence. I mean, we look back in hindsight. Yeah, we shot in a, in a state mental hospital in Oregon in January. Freeze. I mean, it yeah. gets dark at yeah. three o'clock at three thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. The whole thing could have been done on a set. Right. Because said, you know, that, the magic of finding the Indian, the big chief, Will Sampson. Oh, he's great. Finding this amazing uh, guy was just, you know, the fortunate And part. all those cats, uh, Christopher Lloyd's in there. Right. And the guy, who was Cheswick? Well, yeah, was uh, yeah, Cheswick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was on. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we might have to leave Cheswick up there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so then like yeah. you, you and then you after that that, that experience of producing you you, you kind of leaned into acting for a while and then well no I, I well I, I, I'm now I'm an Academy Award winning producer I got an Oscar as yeah. a producer and I'm yet I'm a television actor right who's uh, who's trying to get into feature films yeah and there was a big disparity back then now before me there's only two guys I could think of was who had been in television shows, yeah. Clint Eastwood and Steve McQueen, who had made the transfer from television into feature films. Did you know those guys? Yeah. I knew Steve McQueen produced one of the first movies I ever did. So I knew Steve- Which uh, one? Oh, it was <laughs> called Adam at 6 a.m. I, I got to know Steve pretty well. He's a lovely man. Yeah? Yeah. And then you went out, so, so you're still part of you, like you wanted to get credibility as a film actor. Yeah, well, yeah. And, I, and I and I couldn't, so that's why I, I started producing the China Syndrome, and I got a part for me uh, in in the um, in the picture as a secondary yeah. the lead. Jack Lemon, huh? Yeah, Jack Lemon, Jane Fonda. How was Jack? Jack was was the best. He, you know, this is a picture again. Took me longer to set up. He waited a year. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This was a strong issue. Uh, the nuclear, uh, yeah, n- n- nuclear power and the meltdown was yeah. an issue that was very dear to his heart, and he waited a year for that part. Jane Fonda was, was great. Jane, great movie. It, it was, and then Romancing the Stone, again, was a a, a picture where I, I was fortunate to get into it. Yeah, uh, I was, you know. Then I was producing pictures. So you produced and that starred in that, yeah, right? I produced that, but then I had pictures like Starman, which yeah. Jeff Bridges did, which I was not approved. I was not approved by the studio as an actor, as a uh, as an actor for With John that. Carpenter. Jo- well, John Carpenter directed it, right? Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a good movie. Yeah. It was an interesting movie. Yeah. And you just produced it, but you wanted to be in it. And yeah, I wanted to be in it. You wanted to be the main guy? I wanted to be the, the, the <laughs> Jeff Bridges part, yeah. And this is after Romancing the Stone, which was a huge hit, right? Yeah, yeah. So you like a movie star for that movie, like the co- adventurous comedic lead almost, well, the Romancing the yeah, Stone. Yeah, but, but even then I was uh, I was fortunate to get, I mean, it was it was a, a tight budget uh, picture. And I, you I producing, was, you couldn't cast yourself? They I wouldn't, couldn't cast myself. Because the studio said, what do we know about you? Well, they just—they just—that's the way you were, right. you know. You were—you were approved, you know, in yeah. terms. Carl of, Malden's not here. Well, We're, yeah, it's not television. Yeah, right. It's not television. So it took—it was still a fight when you're making millions of dollars for these guys. Yeah. No one's willing to gamble on it. No, no. Not so that. when did that turn around? 
for me, ultimately, it really ultimately didn't turn around uh, until the, the year uh, 85 with the combination of Fatal Attraction and Wall Street. The, the two pictures came out within three months of each other. Uh-huh. Fatal Attraction was a, a a huge commercial success as well as sort of viscerally hitting yeah. hitting a, a, oh my God. a note. And then Wall Street, you know, was a, uh, a, a, had a great part and, you know, got the Oscar. So that was the, that was the year that both took me, I think, out of the shadow of my father's shadow as well as really established me as you know. So re- it's so weird because I wouldn't have thought, looking back on it, that that it would be seen that uh, that it took you that like you know that was a struggle because you're doing yeah. you're a big you're a big mocker in show business at that point, right? As right, a producer, right. as a producer, right? But in your heart, you're like, why can't I? <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was uh, yeah, and you know, and it's 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 this is the one area where being your father's son is not really a big benefit because people say, oh, you know, you know, you, you look, it's just like your father. Oh, really? It's just like, you know, and you're trying to establish your own identity <laughs> right. and create who you are. And uh, and so sometimes, interestingly, my father in his career early on, he played a lot of sensitive young men roles. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until he did a picture called The Champion uh-huh. where he played a prick, you know, yeah. a boxer and a tough guy. Yeah. And for me, it wasn't until Wall Street where I played a Gordon Gecko tough uh, guy that really helped identify my character and sort of yeah. separate me from morally compromised sympathetic character right. I don't know if Gefko was completely sympathetic no, I wouldn't say sympathetic but human yeah human and that's basically been the crux of my uh, my career is the gray area I am I am and it might be we talked earlier about the Vietnam War yeah where you know the biggest difference I see is between black hats and white hats in World War II and the Westerns and good guys yeah. and bad guys. And then for me, from the 60s, 70s and everything, it was more of a gray area sure. as to who's right and who's wrong. Right. What's good and what's yeah, bad. Now we have what's true and what isn't. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And and and, and that is the area that I, I guess I didn't consciously do it yeah but has overcome if i look back over all my projects is this area of people struggling to do the right thing but still have avarice and yeah the and those desires yeah, and yeah. everything else and how do you do the right thing uh, oh, that's interesting because it's interesting because the 70s movies you know it, during the war you know were these 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 anti-heroes that sort of became mm-hmm. championed were were more sort of existentially challenged you know as opposed to morally challenged you exactly know? And and your dad too, like he played a lot of heavies. Yeah, I mean, Out of the Past is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I fucking love that movie. Ace in the Hole. Oh, Ace in the Hole. Jesus, it was hard to find yeah, yeah. that movie yeah, for yeah. a while. Yeah. So as you do these movies, like, and then there was you, know, you did a couple where the guy, you know, you were at the you were at both sides of it. You were the guy having the affair and in, in, in what the Fatal Attraction, then in. In, in Perfect Murder, I mean the one with Demi Moore. Which is the one? Oh, with, that was Disclosure. Oh, that was another right. one where you played the other side of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, I'm, I shouldn't even mention this, but during this whole Me Too movement yeah. and everything, I've been surprised that people haven't jumped out at that uh, yeah. picture because that was a little. It was a little in your face where we kind of did a reverse thing on harassment. We yeah, had a, we had a female boss. Uh, why? Yeah, why it hasn't been used as an example? Yeah, it, it seems like they're, they're more concerned. It's, it's a tougher thing to to uh, to 
in terms of holding people accountable for the work they did, they're more concerned with what you did. Right. Right. But uh, but so a- as you continue to act, I mean, you, you were able to, to really have a shot at everything, you know, action hero. And, I, I, and, I tried. I mean, I'm, I think the thing that I'm most proud about now yeah. um, is that you're right. Most actors sort of find a, 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 a mold or a certain identity. Right. And people say to me all the time, they say, Michael Douglas, you know, um, I, when I see your name, I don't know what it's going to be, yeah, but I know it's going to be good. Right, and I go, all right, man, thank you. I'll take that. It's and, true. Yeah, you know, so it's true. You bring yourself to all of it. There, yeah. there's something about you that yeah. we we all kind of know. I think that's the nature of like, yeah. I mean, you're a movie star, you know, and you're a great actor, but like, there's something about you're not a character actor per se. I like I love to do character, right? But, but, but you're going right. to be, you know, you're right. happy to see Denver. Michael Douglas. Yeah. You're not you're not one of those like who's that guy? Right. I see that guy all the time, right? right? You know, right. you're not Ned Beatty, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> God bless him. I'm still fighting my weight though. <laughs> <laughs> you've played presidents. You've played. You know, you've done the the whole the whole yeah. thing. So like. But there are certain characters, like also in the Kaminsky method as well, because this is a movie about old guys, right? And about guys that are dealing with those issues. Uh, but like you've, play, it seems like there's been a lot of points in your life where you've played characters that you know, relate to certain you know elements of your life. I mean, like Traffic, that was a hell of a role. Traffic was a was a great. I'm I, I'm uh, I I keep up on current events. I mean I read a, I read a lot of newspapers. I I like to think that I'm sort of in in touch with stuff and and so uh, you know people I, I I do take pride in sort of learning what the zeitgeist yeah. you know is. So whether it's a movie like Falling Down, um, that was a, that was an insane movie. Yeah, who directed that? Uh, Joel Schumacher. I mean, falling down like that part, like how do you, you know, I mean, because like out of all the films you've done that I, I've seen and remember, that, that was something where you almost lost yourself. Yeah. Like where, where like you could watch that movie and, you know, it wasn't a Michael Douglas movie in right. a sense. Right, right. So what was the story around taking that part and like, how did you approach it? I just, it was, it was a, just Ebby Rose with a beautifully written script and to me, it was right after the Vietnam War was over, and it's hard for a lot of people to remember. Oh, the L- character, not the movie wasn't made then. But yeah, the ca- no, was, the, the oh, right. character, the yeah, whole yeah. thing. And uh, people kind of forget in L.A., but L.A. was sort of the defense center. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't about movie business. We had our major defense contractors were here in Los Angeles. Oh, for you with the rockets? USD? Yeah, and, all, yeah. And, and, and so here was a guy who had, you know, was a patriot in the country and was pink-slipped yeah. for his job in the defense contracting business because the war was over. We don't need you anymore. Yeah. And who kind of just lost it. Yeah. You know, and was in a divorce with his wife oh, and this and that and, and lost his identity and... And and this vision of, of having a, of dro- leaving his car yeah. caught in a traffic jam and walking across L.A. and and, and dealing with every politically incorrect yeah. Yeah. It situation a, it might, like a, a, might, like, might happen to you. It was you. like a, a, like it was a, a picaresque. It was like Candide. Yeah. It just you know from it just gets worse and worse. It wasn't funny. It, it, well, it, some of them were funny, and I, that's the other area I love. I mean, it's a lot to do with the Kaminsky method. I love nervous laughter. I yeah. love drama. 
comedies, yeah. you know, yeah. in this area where you go, because that's what life is about. Isn't well, it? yeah, the scene with, the, for, with Forrest, what was it? Uh, what's his name? You know, from- Yeah, uh, Fred Forrest. Fred, Fred Forrest. Forrest. Yeah. That almost got comedic. Like, yeah. he played that so broad. Or the Korean grocery stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the, well, the your Korean... reactions, that's true. There, there was definitely comedy in there. There was, a, you know, dark comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I love dark comedy. Because like- I, 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 I do. I'm a sick guy. Yeah, no, no, I love okay. it too. But like, I just like in in really thinking about it, it it is almost a comedic character that character yeah. because of like just that you know it's like life is shitting on him that yeah. he yeah you know. well you just can't believe the absurdities just the insanity of of life not making any any sense but like when you immerse yourself in a role like that one and not not unlike you know like Kaminsky method this new series on Netflix you know I think it's it's pretty close to familiar territory for you as a person you know in terms of show business maybe in terms right. of who you are but when you when you really think about Something like falling down, or like playing Liberace, right? Where well, Liberace is a guy, mm-hmm. but but this falling down guy. I mean, what do you got to when you approach as an actor? What do you got to turn on or off in you to sort of like you know to to peel away at that thing? Do you think about that? I you know it's 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 the writing. It's uh-huh. the writing, oh, it is. and yeah. you picked, you know, Ebby Rose Smith. It's just really really good writing, right? And you know, then you work. Jack Nicholson always accuses me, you know, Mikey, Mikey D, you're, you're a hair actor, you know. <laughs> I mean, different ways, you know, like, like so you, you know, like, so you gotta uh, cut I mean, your falling hair, down, falling down was a flat top. Yeah. But you find it different ways, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, Gordon Gecko was, you know, Pat Riley. You know, you right. find you find different kind of hair thing, you find different stuff that kind of helps, g- gives it's true. you. It's true, you put the you, pants on and you become the guy. Yeah, you, you know, that's what I do. You, and that's the fun, is there's basically two ways of acting you know one is putting on the mask and the clown and and that's the joy of character acting yeah. that's the fun of character acting sure. yeah is you create this kind of character yeah. and it gives you all the freedom in the world yeah or you're doing stuff where you're stripping everything off you're going right. down to your skeleton yeah and that so for the longest time somebody told me early on about acting said you know the camera can tell when you're lying uh-huh Ooh. Ooh, the camera can tell when you're lying. So earlier in my career, acting was so painful because I was dealing so much with like with reality and trying to be truthful, and 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 acting was painful. And then one day, I said, "Wait a minute." I lie every day, yeah. <laughs> at least once a day. Yeah. I lie about something. That's what life is about. I lie. Yeah. I mean, and and also I realized, wait, acting is all about lying. Right. It's, it's just being a good liar, isn't it? <laughs> and I sound so silly now, but yeah. it totally freed me up and gave me almost made me start laughing with the, with the freedom that it gave me. So I I can do anything I want. So so it's a contradiction to the camera. It's always exactly, not the truth. Exactly. That was bullshit. No, exactly. You look at you look right. That camera's like John Lovett's character. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Right. I'm that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can say anything you want. Yeah. Now we have a president that yeah, makes a right. career out of lying. Well, exactly. And 40% of the country exactly. somehow believes, believes it. it. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Well, and so when uh, uh, I didn't realize you produced The Rainmaker. Yeah. Francis Coppola. That was, I love that fucking yeah, movie. I, Matt Damon was so good in that role. It's a great I, script. Yeah, I, it's yeah. like one of these weird, like, you know, Coppola, some of these cats that you came up with, they get known for this weird swath of time and then they get a little inconsistent, but The Rainmaker's a great, solid movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, right? Thank it's you. Like, yeah, it was. He oh did. my God. Yeah, but he really he was it was his baby and Francis was, you know, it just was great. Francis what well, he championed that whole thing? Well we we brought him in and he took care of it. He was always wonderful at emails, like the first time I knew about emails. Yeah. But he would, you know, keep you abridged and everything, what he wanted to do and what he was doing, but you know, you you just you were you were in the hands of somebody and Yeah, it's yeah. And I had gotten to know him from when I was in San Francisco on the television show. Oh, you did? Because he yeah. had that building in, in Zero, right downtown. American Zoetrope. It, in North Beach forever. North Beach, right. The, the big copper building. Right, and then La Tosca, a little bar. Yeah, right now they got there, the, the winery you know, and everything. All this stuff. So when you do something like, tra- like what was your experience in, because traffic's heavy, man. Yeah, I mean, mm. your story in that movie is heavy. You got a daughter who's strung out, and you're the drug czar, but, and you've had your own experience with drugs. Right. You got sober. Uh yeah, you, you yeah. mean me, me personally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in I was in uh, rehab in 90, 1991, Probably more alcohol, but yeah. drugs were part. Did of you it. stay off it? Um, not really. I mean, I think everything <laughs> gotta, became a question handled. of moderation, yeah. you know, and, and, and all of that. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, just not like the way, the way you wake up in the morning right. anymore and yeah. you, kids you, and you got out of control. Going on. But you have to, uh, um, yeah. I think you all have to be careful. Like I've got, um, I've had addiction issues in my family. I've lost a, a brother. I knew him, um, uh, Eric. I knew him from the comedy scene. Yeah, because back in New York, he used to walking around all sweaty with his dog. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And Eric lost Eric. And, yeah, that's sad. And my my oldest boy was. Uh, was a heroin addict. Oh, and really? He spent, um, he spent uh, seven and a half years in federal prison. No kidding. Uh, yeah, I didn't for, know that. For a nonviolent drug offense. How's he? He's fine, thank you. He's uh, he's doing really well. He's an actor, really good actor. Oh, Getting good. Going. That's hard to get through. You know, it's really hard to come back from that. It's good to yeah, hear. Yeah, No, he's doing he's doing good. Um, but, you know, I think you... You you learn about genetics, and yeah. so, um, amongst other things. Sure. That you got to be more careful. You saw it in your family, yeah, yeah. yeah. So both both sides. Uh, so and you know, I think my younger ones. It's been great. They, I, I mean, unfortunately with, with the difficulties. Your new ones, my my new ones. Yeah. Um, so they they keep a much closer eye on it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah, you have a conversation about it. Yeah, going exactly. Well, that's great. When you did um, the, the Liberace movie. Yeah. I've watched that thing like five times, man. <laughs> you're so fucking good at it. The two of you are too good at it. You know, I mean, like, I can't, like, did you know yeah. Liberace? I did. I mean, not well, but I, I did. He was I around, him. right? He was around when my father, that time, they had place in Palm Springs. And uh-huh. I, I would go out and, on holidays and visit. Yeah. And, and, I, yeah. and I do remember one day... Um, we're driving home. Everybody had convertibles back then. Nobody worried about the sun. Yeah. But there was, you know, Dad stopped. This guy pulled up in a Rolls Royce yeah. convertible. It was a bright day. Yeah. All I remember is I could hardly see him. Your this, kid? The, uh, How huh? old were you? Uh, I was maybe sixteen. Uh huh. Yeah. And I could hardly see him just because the, the sun was banging against his gold yeah, and he had yeah. diamonds and it was just, he was simmering. It was, hey, Lee, how are you? Hi, Kirk, how are you? You know, and it just it was, the, it was just the best. And um, <laughs> He was a sweet guy, right? Lovely guy. Everybody loved it. A wonderful host. Yeah, yeah. And a great guy. And, you know, that, that, that project, you know, for a lot of reasons meant so much for me because, you know, I had, uh, I had a stage four ca- cancer bout 
which I was fortunate enough to uh, to get through. That was recently. I, I, well, six, few- seven years ago now. Um, but, you know, it was a time, you know, I had two other friends had the same cancer I had, Larry Hagman, um, you know, was was uh, was one, and, and then Nick Ashford of Ashford and Simpson. That's how Hagman died, was a, a mouth cancer? Yeah. It started throat, there? Throat cancer. Throat yeah. cancer. Yeah. yeah. From yeah. smoking? Don't know what. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what. Uh, Wasn't there some rumor going around that from uh, from eating pussy? Was that? <laughs> I don't know. It could be. <laughs> the, uh, who started there, there that is, one? Well, no. The uh, there is an HPV sixteen oh, virus, okay. which is a HPV sixteen virus, which can cause cervical cancers and uh, oh, the throat, throat cancers cancer. and this and that. Yeah. And uh, I did have HPV sixteen virus. Oh, okay. Uh, but it also, is it's if you have that virus, it's the best opportunity you have of of, of overcoming. No kidding. Your cancer. So I got a little trouble just for spreading the message. There's oh, yeah. a vaccination that is out there, and would encourage all younger people before they become sexually active to take the vaccination, and will we'll limit about half a dozen different virus, cancer viruses. From the HPV. From the HPV, 16. You got into trouble for saying that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it was taken the wrong, you know, the, the tabloids pick it up and yeah. they, they make it, you yeah. know, you're, you're trying to do a public service yeah. and they turn it into, you know, to dirt, you yeah. know. So, um, uh, but yeah, so anyway, but one of the things I, but mine was getting dentists, for instance, it was very simple for dentists when you went in for, for dentistry, just to stick their fingers down the back of your tongue and throat to check for for tumors, yeah. which they were not doing before. Uh-huh. And now many, many doctors and any of your listeners, I would encourage you to no ask their, their dentists to have them. You know, oh, really? Just, yeah. And they and you were able to, it was advanced So he spread it, yeah. So it was advanced But so anyway, uh, getting through the, yeah. the Liberace thing came, and I was so excited about it. So excited about it, yeah. and then Matt was already there, and and uh, and uh, Steven Soderbergh. And then they came to me. I was just you know in remission, and they said, you know, we each us we got projects to do. We're going to put this off for a year. Yeah, we're going to put it off for, but we got projects to do. And I was heartbroken because I thought, oh no, this this is ain't going to happen. This is not going to happen. But the truth was, and you know, I, I still get emotional about this. Both guys knew I mean I, I was happy to be alive I didn't really look at myself they could look at me and I was 30 pounds underweight I said, yeah. there's no way this guy does not look uh, from chemo from chemo radiation yeah. and so they they put it on themselves but I said let's wait a year and you know let Michael get back and get his weight back and yeah. all of that uh, and so uh, and what I was able to do was have an extra year to work with the piano yeah. and work on the voice, yeah. you know, and all of that stuff. And it just made it so much more rewarding when it all yeah. came about. And I imagine the struggle with with Liberace's disease, like he must have been right at the, the forefront of your recollection. That the, you, the struggle with which? With with, with, with his disease, yeah. like with AIDS yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah. he couldn't talk about. And right. not, but right. like, you know, your immediate memory of that fear and that. Yeah. But I look back, and again, Matt Damon, you know, would I, you know, it was fine for me at my age to do Liberace and do a character and gay guy dying. Would I, in the prime of my career, you know, as a leading man, have done this? I don't know, you know? So, I mean, Matt Damon, 
<laughs> I take my hat off. He dove into that project, man. It was, uh, it he's was like great. he's really the 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 best of his generation, really. When he puts his mind to it, yeah. it's, it's really something else. Yeah, I'm I, I'm 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 impressed with him too. That really scene am. in the hot tub where you go like, "Who are you talking to, <laughs> Mumbles?" Like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll, I'll wait the whole fucking movie to hear you say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. let me ask you a question about like uh, a couple of odd questions and talk a little bit about the Kaminsky method like when you like you did the remake of the in-laws right and you it was you and Albert Brooks yeah and did you you didn't do the first one you didn't produce it did you no no no, no. but no. that's Alan Arkin who you're now working with Alan Arkin, Alan Arkin was, in the, was in the original yeah. Alan Serpentine Arkin. shell yeah. Serpentine right, right. exactly I, did, I always wonder about the why things are remade I mean I yeah. see I understand sequels yeah you know, but it seems like there's a lot of stuff that uh, that gets remade, and, and you know, if you have a connection to the first one, you're sort of like, why, why are you gonna do that again? You know, no, but, it's it's it, it's true. But it's a funny movie. Yeah, it was it was a funny picture. It was a, you know, a gig. Yeah. It was a gig that sure, came up. Sure. Uh, and, and quite honestly, for me, uh, and this is part going into the Kaminsky method, yeah. which is comedy. Yeah. Uh, I love comedy. Yeah, I'm not yeah. inherently a comedian. Right. Uh, I'm fascinated about comedy. Yeah. Uh, I think comedy is always shortchanged. I think we all love our funny friends, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, When it comes Oscar time, nobody ever acknowledges a, a comedic performance. Right, right, right. Which is such, so much more difficult than uh, drama. We all know how to be dramatic. Sure, <laughs> sure. We all know how to be confrontational. yeah. yeah. Sad it's, and tense. It's, it's, it's yeah. the people that find that that comedic interpretation of yeah, life or can yeah. make you chuckle. That yeah, yeah. So Reynolds is great at it. Ryan, he's fantastic. Oh my god! I mean, the Deadpool it's stuff is just unbelievable. But so I, as to the in-laws, that's probably why I definitely want to do that because I'm always trying to find out, and uh, which is what brought me to Chuck Lorre. Um, and and the Kaminsky method. One of the reasons why I was so excited to to do this. I mean, Chuck Lorre is such a good writer. Yeah, it's 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 a tricky thing you're doing. Like yeah. you know, like when he came to you with it, did he have Arkin already? No, no, I was I was the uh, the first uh, uh-huh. first person. And have you then, worked with uh, with Alan Arkin before? Had I? Yeah. No. Yeah. I hadn't worked nor nor had. Uh, uh, Chuck, I mean, Alan's got a really—he's out of the second city. He's got a you know comedic background. Oh no, yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's, 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 he's fine, but no, we had not. Uh, Is he pleasant to work with? I'm sort of uh, fa- I'm fascinated with that guy. You? Yeah, he's yeah, he's uh, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, <laughs> all right, all right. He's I guess. great. <laughs> no, he is. I, I have, a, have a, a great relationship. I, I love working with, yeah. with and he, he's great. But he gets a, there's a little bit of that cantankerous quality. That uh, sure. that we love in the character. Sure, that, that sure. Is, that's that really is, it. That is in Alan, although he would not want to admit it. Right. But he's got a little wonderful quality. Yeah. He's a he's a brilliant actor. And and uh, the the two of you, like it seems to me that at the ages you guys are at, that this stuff that you that that's in the the Kaminsky method, the things you're dealing with as aging men, are very you know they're happening. They are happening. And the, the the thing and the beauty is that there's never very much fun that you can find about getting old. Chuck Lorre, he finds getting old funny. Well, yeah. And so one of the things that I'm just loving uh, about that is 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 finding this these comedic 
moments uh, um, about uh, in part about getting old and two guys who've known each other for, that is for a long time been together. And that's and that's the interesting thing I noticed about watching it. I, I've, I, I'm about halfway through, so don't ruin it for me. Like, uh, but but the way he writes, it's a, it's a type of writing. Like you know, when you see a sitcom like his uh, The Big Bang Theory or, mm-hmm. or, 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 or Two and a Half Men or whatever the other ones he does. You know, that's a three-camera setup. You're going joke to joke. So then when you do a single-camera thing like this or more of a, you know, a film-like kind of thing, and he's still writing, you know, bits, but, you know, he has to, you know, tweak it a bit. Like, it's almost yeah. it's almost like Neil Simon in a way that where right. where the, the dialogue is, is not in, in essentially organic, but it has to be played properly, mm-hmm. you know, for it to work. And right. you guys are doing great at it. Thank you. It's a very astute difference between... I mean, the, the 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 one camera versus four cameras, like night and days. I mean, I, I I'm sitting now in such envy of the Big Bang Theory. They're, they're like thirty five hour weeks. Yeah, maybe forty hour max. Yes, yeah, right. Know. Yeah, we're doing seventy. You know? Yeah, right. It's it's entirely different kind of. Uh, well, it's like it's like a it's like a vaudeville. It's it's yeah. almost like a stage production. Right. You, you know that. Yeah, you but just, it's it's two dimensional yeah. in the sense that you know the audience is right out. In front, you have a live audience in front yeah. with them, four cameras, yeah. and whatever else versus, uh, you know, actually just shooting, you know, kind of real real scenes sure. and locations. But I'm loving it, and, and I, I can't say enough about the writing. This is why, you know, all the good writers, screenwriters included, have moved over to television. Because in television and the streaming areas, not only are you a writer, you can be the showrunner, you're the producer of the show. It's, it's, it's much more financially beneficial. And now with this stuff, with the Kaminsky method, half, half-hour comedy, it can be 25 minutes long. Yeah. It can be 35 minutes long. Yeah. No commercials, fuck shit, piss, whatever yeah. you want to yeah. right. say sure. or, or do. It's, yeah. it's like a uh, a movie. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So um, I'm, I'm having a ball. Yeah, I, and I think like uh, it, it's a generational thing. Like I see what he's trying to do, like what you guys are doing. It's like it, it's you, you know it's something that my parents could love. Right. But, you know, there's also an element where, you know, you're watching pros and you're seeing them interact with people of a different generation. And, exactly. And, you know, it, it sort of it, it definitely all works. I was very, uh, you know, I, I was happy to see you guys. You Thank know? you. That's great to hear because we're still new. But you're right. I mean, I play I play a L.A. Um, Los Angeles acting teacher, Sandy Kaminsky. You know, got a lot of students. And so we have this whole and, and obviously, you know, assuming there will be upcoming seasons. We're going to, you know, develop these younger kids yeah. that are in the classes right. and all of that, yeah. and, and and deal with this generation. Oh, okay. Life. So that's a, that's the next play. Yeah. That's the next phase. I would think so. And working with Chuck is great. He, it's he's. I don't know how he does it, man. I mean, he he promised us that he would be there, like every day and he and he was and you know i'm yeah. looking he's got the you know he's got the big bang he's got young sheldon he's got mom you know it's just uh, it's an, it's an amazing he's got all the money yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes he does so now you so now you just come out here to work you mostly in the east coast I'm, i live east coast i'm just out here for a few days uh emmys are coming up on monday they asked me to do something for that well they used to be more fun didn't they the award shows uh yeah well I mean I, I yeah everything seemed to be a lot more fun I mean just we we had more autonomy in the seventies and eighties yeah, yeah. you know it was it wasn't such vertically integrated I mean studios you went to the head of a studio and that was the boss yeah, you know, yeah that was right. the boss yeah. now 
Now it's just a division head yeah, of yeah. some huge vertically yeah. integrated company. That's right. And also, like I, and I remember, like I think it was Nicholson talking about what the Golden Globes used to be. Like, oh was, man, it was it was, <laughs> it was rough. It was you it know was like what, crazy, right? Oh, it was insane. Between you know, between the amount of drinking was going on, what was going on in the bathrooms, yeah. you know, what was that, <laughs> that happening? Um, but it a lot, on, of, it wasn't on TV, it wasn't either. on television. Exactly, I was going to just say that. Yeah. That's what changed all these awards. Yeah, was that was the fact that uh, they had to clean up their act uh, when, to try to sell they, it. Yeah, I was. Even, I had a f- funny story. That I just can't remember. I was saying had, had the Golden Globe. Yeah, and I was nominated for the Golden Globes. I'm staying out. I'm staying out of the Bel Air, the Bel Air Hotel. Yeah, and I'm getting ready to go to the Globes. I come out in the lobby, and there's George Harrison. Yeah, and he had just uh, just won uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh-huh. and thing, and come back. For- and but uh, because somebody, Paul hadn't shown up, I think there was some friction or whatever. Anyway, I was just talking to him, and just say, "Big fan, fantastic." I go to the Golden Globes. I win. Yeah, I took my mother. I went. I, by the time I finish all the press and everything, and I come back out, everybody's going home. Yeah, you know, you do all the press, go home. So I take my mother and they're home. I go back to the hotel. I'm feeling sorry for myself. You know, I sit there with my golden <laughs> Where's the party? Yeah, yeah. Where's the party? Yeah. Twelve thirty. My phone rings. I said, yeah. Hello, Michael. I said, yeah, it's George. George, hey, hey, George, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and my mate were just down here. We thought maybe you know, come over. Say, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on over. So, come on over. So I. Knock, knock. They open the door. George Harrison walks in, yeah. and Bob Dylan. No, Bob Dylan with the biggest fucking dog I have ever seen in my life. I thought it was a small pony. Yeah, and he comes in, and uh, I, Lord, I order some caviar, a bunch of caviar, yeah. and Bob sits down. I'm not saying much, Bob. Right. I'm not talking. George, right. I talk. the dog is walking. I got like look up over the top. The dog is walking back and forth in front of us. All of a sudden, the dog smells the caviar. Yeah. <laughs> smells the Next thing I know, it goes, <laughs> 150 bucks a lick. <laughs> you know, I'm looking, it's Bob Dylan's dog, man. Yeah. It's Bob Dylan's dog. When I keep looking at Bob Dylan, but hey, you know, I'm, he's not saying nothing. You know, right. Jesus. So finally, I see Bob hasn't said a word. He finally opens his mouth. He goes, far out. He likes caviar. That was it. That was it. That was all he talked. <laughs> that's all he did. Far out, he likes caviar. That's funny, man. It's yeah. funny too that like that moment, that feeling of like, you know, you reach this success, like you know, like yeah. where's the party? <laughs> like, no party, yeah. And, but, and you're probably a huge fan of Bob Dylan, oh, right? I, and you never fan. met him before. Never met him before. You know? <laughs> that's the way it goes <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah. It's nice to still be a fan of somebody. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. look, man. Uh, oh, Ant-Man, too. You you did both of those movies, right? Did the two Ant-Man pictures. We have uh, Ant-Man, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp is coming out in October now on um, on the- right. uh, on the DVD, DVD or whatever the things, yeah. streaming. Yeah, I just streaming had Paul in here. He's all. a great guy. Yeah. Paul's a good guy. Very, very funny. He's funny. He doesn't uh, think he's funny, but he's yeah, funny. no, he's 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 just so wiggy. He's got yeah. a great, a yeah. great ability. Very dry. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm doing that. I did all that, and they're going to probably do another one of those, and uh, you know, another season of the Kaminsky Method. And I got a Chinese movie I went and did. What does that it's, mean? It's, it's it was a Chinese Chinese. Movie. I went over to China. Yeah, and I went over all by myself, and uh-huh. I did a. I did a Chinese movie. I had one woman that couldn't bring anybody with me, and uh-huh. 
had a, somebody translating for me. I had my sides in English. I didn't know what the hell a movie was about. You have no idea? Well, I've seen it now. Yeah. I mean, How I'm, is it? I'm sort of a movie. It was number one picture in China. It's a huge <laughs> picture. It's, it's a big it's a big special effects green screen. It was beautifully done. Yeah, it was uh-huh. really interesting. Beautifully done. I'm sort of a variation of a Gordon Gecko Western greedy capitalist kind of uh-huh. villain character but it was, it was fine you just did it for fun or you what i did it for the money and i did it for uh, i love to see china uh, to see china and you know I, my history is uh you know as a producer i produce pictures all over the world in south africa uh everywhere you know so yeah. I, I enjoy it and it was a chance and, and that's the beauty of movies is is there exactly the same crews? Everything is the same. You, you get, get it. it. It's yeah. a wonderful right. international language that yeah. we all share. And do you still like, you're not adverse to doing smaller pictures? I saw Copelman's picture, The the Solitary Man. That yeah. Was a, that was a, that's a heavy part, and that was good. I, I love them. I'm not adverse to it, but I, I now enjoy the streaming area because Solitary Man or another picture called King of California where you bust your ass, you work for nothing, uh, there's no marketing budget. You are the marketing budget. You got to go. And they ultimately end up playing for a week in theaters. And then they go stream. direct to streaming yeah. anyway. Right. So the, this these areas now with uh, with Netflix, Hulu, right. Amazon, and, and Facebook. My wife, uh, Catherine, has this, has a series um, called Queen America yeah. that she's doing for Facebook. Right. It's coming out So you're in saying it's, it's, it seems more advantageous in a sense to, like when you do a smaller movie, you, 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 that means... You, you, you're you expected to be involved in the promotion. You don't really know if it's going to go anywhere, if anyone's going to see it, and the money's not good. So now with, with the streaming structures, you can get paid reasonably well, yeah, and yeah. people watch it. Yeah, and you have right. a built-in audience. Right. Uh, I mean, saying that, Netflix, I believe, is doing three times more feature films in it than any uh, than any studio yeah but they're going to release it day and date with their with their streaming out well, the only problem i found being on a show on netflix is that with the streaming thing is that uh, you know it really is like they'll drop all of them right right and then people will watch them in a day right, right? and then they they're like when's when's the next one coming it's like i don't know fucking year yeah and that's just the way it is. Where no, it's it, interesting. That's we're, we're doing that no, November sixteenth. You know, all eight episodes. Boom. Are, yeah, that's there. it. And then like you know, they, the people they, they, they like the show, yeah, but there's no. nothing you can do. Dude. Whereas at least back yeah. in the day, it was you got to keep up with the story. You got to sit down and record it's, it in it's, a week. It's a valid point. I, I don't know how they're. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess that's the way people want. They're willing to wait. What are they going to do? That's the yeah. way it is now. Yeah. Well, look, you look great. I'm glad you're healthy. Thank you so much. Real privilege, uh, honor, and really a privilege a to talk to you. It was a treat to be out here. Thanks, man. Thank you. That was a great talk. I enjoy. He's a very uh, happy guy. Very uh, kind of like great energy, man. It was great to kind of look at him and talk to him. I feel that a lot. Like I'm just, hey, I'm looking at Michael Douglas for an hour and we're talking. Look at, look at, look at across from me. It's Michael Douglas talking to my face. He's talking. His face is talking to my brain and he's looking at my face and we're talking. And it, not only was he talking to my face, out of his face, He's also in the new Netflix original series, The Kaminsky Method, uh, along with Alan Arkin. You can stream it starting tomorrow, November 16th. I found my Wawa pedal. You know what that means. I think you do. I'm <laughs> sorry.
Boomer lives. Boomer lives.